I want to begin this evening by recognizing the presence of so many of our teachers and principals. Um, I have a, a litany of people that I pray for at morning prayer and evening prayer when I'm praying the, the office, and the teachers are on that list, the teachers and the principals. Thank you for all of your work and efforts getting our schools off and running. Uh, I know that's always a daunting challenge to get everything up and going, and uh, so I'm very happy to have you here this evening. In the Eastern liturgy, uh, think, for example, of the Orthodox churches or the Byzantine churches. In the Eastern liturgy, when the priest is presenting the gifts to the people at Mass just before communion, he says, God's holy gifts, he's holding up the bread and the wine that have been consecrated, he says, God's holy gifts for God's holy people. And so, I want to use this phrase as a window tonight through which to explore this topic of the sacraments as mysterious encounters with Christ. In our English usage, uh, often when we say something is a mystery, what we mean is something like it is not comprehensible. So, for instance, you might say that about some of the kids, for example, or, or, something, or, uh, or someone you know in your family or something. Uh, that, that, that person is not comprehensible. But I once heard a better way to define mystery, particularly as it relates to the church and to Jesus himself, a mystery is not a mystery because it is incomprehensible, but rather because it is endlessly comprehensible. A mystery is something that I can understand as I'm peering into it, but I can never come to the end of it. I can never plumb the whole of it. I can never know all of it, but I'm attracted and drawn to keep looking and to keep coming back to it. And so that's our way of understanding mystery when we're talking about sacraments. We know something about sacraments, but we can never know all of it, of it about sacraments. So it's easy to see how that definition applies. After all, sacraments are the work of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And so whatever he does, is infinite, and therefore it is endlessly comprehensible. And I think that things that are endlessly comprehensible can also be usefully called holy. Something that is endlessly comprehensible is definitely, therefore, holy. It's a holy thing. They are of God. They are not merely material or human. They're beyond that, above that. So it's easy for us to see how the sacraments qualify as being holy, but we don't often think of ourselves as holy because we don't see ourselves or each other as being mysterious in that way, in that way of being infinitely comprehensible. But I think I can show you that we are, in fact, holy, endlessly comprehensible. So I want to do with you what I'll call the dot exercise. So some of you are here with 
paper and pen. Others just use your imagination. If you have a piece of paper and you draw on the left-hand side of the piece of paper a little dot, and then you extend a line from that dot going across the page and running right off the other side of the page, running right off the page, what you're now looking at is an image of your whole human life. So let's say that the dot represents 100 years of earthly life for you. See, we're feeling generous here tonight, so we'll, <laughs> we'll say 100, 100 years. Life that is redeemed and lived in Christ. And the line that is so much longer and that runs right off the edge of the page represents the rest of your life. If you pray with that, it will help. That line represents the rest of your real life. What we're doing in this room in this moment is not more real than what the line represents. That's the rest of our real life. A life that has no end, a life that is caught up in the beatific vision of Christ in heaven. So isn't it true to say that a being whose life has a definite beginning in time, but will pass through death and then go on without end, is necessarily mysterious and endlessly comprehensible and thus holy. We are holy people. We are holy. We tend to think of, when you say someone is holy, we tend to think of that as meaning moral, ethical. Uh, a person who's, for instance, we think of the saints as holy. They're, they didn't commit sins. But this is another way of understanding what we mean when we say holy. We are holy because of God. We are holy because God has created us. We are holy because God has created us for this infinite union with Him. And because we are holy, the kind of beings that are holy, that are mysterious, because of that we should act in a moral way. We should strive for a holy, a morally upright life because that is our true nature. That's the reason. So it doesn't work the other way, but actually it works, we already are holy. And so we should live as holy beings, as holy people. Now, what is the difference that this knowledge makes, this idea of seeing our whole life, of spending time in prayer and meditation on what this means for us? What does it mean for us that we're this kind of being? You know, at six in the morning when we're looking at ourselves in the mirror, <laughs> we don't think, oh boy, he's endlessly comprehensible and holy. <laughs> right? We're like, oh gosh, what happened? But we are. So it, it helps if we understand what, uh, what is the difference that it makes. And knowing that the almost infinite majority of our life, that line, will be spent with God, and all those that we love in heaven gives us a new and different context 
and a wisdom that we can use and employ in prioritizing the use of our time now. What are the things that we consider to be of priority, of importance? Well, it depends on the context in which we're answering that question. And I'm suggesting the dot and the line give us our true context and may lead us to different answers on how we consider things that are important. <clears throat> Everything and every relationship here and now that helps us to get there to heaven is then of preeminent value. It, it rises to be of preeminent value. And thus the sacraments, which are the holy things, for we who are the holy people, those things matter most of all. We could say that. I think we could come to that conclusion. Through the encounter with Jesus in the sacraments, we don't even have to wait for the end of this life to begin to live our heavenly life. We can begin that now. If heaven is eternal union with Jesus Christ, with God, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we encounter Christ in the sacraments, then why wait? We can begin that now. Of course, it will be imperfect and surrounded by mystery, but so what, right? I mean, do we have to have perfection in everything? Now, let's talk a little bit about the nature of this sacramental encounter with Christ. In terms of the liturgical and spiritual theology of this kind of encounter, the sacraments each consist of matter and form. Those are terms that we use in theology, the matter of the sacrament and the form of the sacrament. And this means the materials, the material elements that are used in the sacrament and that are essential to each sacrament, like, for example, water or bread, wine, oil, along with the prayers and the gestures that are a part of the sacrament, the matter and the form. In our lived experience of the sacraments, there is also the common social and cultural experience of celebrating the sacraments. So this includes the preparation, you know, be, uh, there's classes and RCIA and uh, all of those kinds of things. The parties that typically are, you know, families hold parties at home and so forth. The clothes, you know, the white dress or the little boy's suits and ties and all that. The sacred jewelry, the gifts and cards and so on. All those things that surround the human celebration of the sacraments. Those are important things as well, the matter and the form, and also all of these social and cultural things that surround the sacraments. The encounter we have with the Lord will take place through all of these things. The Lord will use all of these things to help us, uh, to help us experience and engage that encounter with the Lord but the heart of it is the matter and the form. If we ask the question, how do we know that someone was baptized? One kind of answer might be that we, all the family came to town. 
and we had a big party, and the baby wore a long white gown, and, and so that's how we know. We went to the church and all of it. But what if we did not have a big party, or what if we did not have a white gown, or what if the church was burned down, or there wasn't a church? Then how do we know? And ultimately, the answer is that, in the case of baptism, for example, the person was washed with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Water and the Trinitarian prayer are the matter and the form. I've baptized, as many priests have, I've baptized babies in the delivery room. When a baby was born who was not going to survive more than a few moments after birth. And the arrangement can be made to have the baby baptized literally there in the delivery room. But typically all that's going to be done because of the circumstance is the matter and the form, the water and the words, and that's the baptism of the baby. <clears throat> we use a term, a Latin phrase, ex opere operato. Uh, it means from the work performed. It means that the only power in the sacraments is that which is from Jesus himself. And that power or encounter with Jesus is mediated to us through the matter and the form which we have received from him. And if we have used the matter and the form with faith, then we have the sacrament and we have assurance of the encounter with Jesus. Now, we could do a quick look at the matter in the form of the seven sacraments. Um, we won't spend a lot of time on this. That can be unfolded in the other lectures that, that uh, come. But for example, baptism, the matter in the form is the water and the Trinitarian prayer. You know, we had a circumstance uh, of late in a couple of places in the country where a it was discovered that a priest of, of a diocese, uh, at his baptism, the minister of baptism did not use the Trinitarian prayer. There was water, but uh, the prayer was, was not used correctly so that the person was, in fact, not baptized. We did not have the matter and the form. And since all the other sacraments are dependent on baptism, it also meant that they weren't confirmed <laughs> or ordained. And since sacraments that uh, attend to other people are dependent on the priest being validly ordained, some of those sacraments were not valid. And so it's terribly important, <laughs> uh, the matter and the form. Uh, confirmation, we have there the anointing with chrism and the laying on of hands and the prayer, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the Eucharist, the matter and the form are wheat bread and grape wine and the prayer of consecration. We speak, for example, in the Eucharist these days, we, we sometimes speak of gluten-free, a gluten-free host. Someone who has celiac disease needs a host that has very, very little gluten in it. Um, 
but it can't be gluten-free or we don't have the proper matter because wheat bread has gluten, at least some. And so we have these recipes. One of them was created by Benedictine nuns in Clyde, Missouri, one of whom went to A&M where I was the chaplain for a long time. She was a biochemistry major and so she helped <laughs> to invent this recipe that has a tiny, tiny amount of, of uh, gluten in it. And so it's a low gluten host, but it's, uh, it's proper matter. In the Sacrament of Penance, we have the three-part uh, matter, the repentance, the confession, and the reparation for sin, along with the prayer of absolution of the priest. In the anointing of the sick, we have the anointing of the head and the hands with the oil of the sick and the prayer that goes along with the anointing. In marriage, it's the spouses. The priest is just there as a witness. It's the spouses who bestow the sacrament on each other through their free and informed consent to be married. And in holy orders, it's the laying on of hands and the prayer of consecration. So that was a quick uh, review. I would recommend that if you want to read more about it, of course there's a section in the Catechism, this wonderful book that uh, I recommend to every home, in paperback if you like, that's fine, but to have one. And if you prefer a shorter version of it, Peter Kreeft wrote a wonderfully succinct uh, version that I like a lot called Catholic Christianity. It's a wonderful uh, uh, exploration into the catechism, but those are both helpful. So let's end then with some ideas for how to encounter the Lord better in celebrating the sacraments. What can we do to enrich and enlarge our personal experience of the Lord when we receive the sacraments. And so, of course, all of the sacraments are dependent on faith, too, the faith of the believer who is receiving the sacraments. And faith is both content and act, the content of faith and the act of faith. For the content of faith, again, we have tools like the catechism, all these other lectures that we have, endless content on the internet, right? I mean, it's so much trouble to us, but there's a lot of good stuff on there too, right? Um, so there's lots of ways to, to deepen and broaden our actual understanding of the faith. What do we understand of it? Uh, but we also have um, the act of faith. And so the act of faith is something that we do with our will when we will ourselves to believe what God is revealing because it is God who is revealing it. And so uh, both of those help us to grow in faith and growing in faith helps us to experience the Lord's presence in the sacraments because we know by faith that he is there for us. Uh, secondly, of course, is our prayer. Prayer is time with the one that we want to spend all the rest of time with in heaven. And prayer 
is time with the one who we will meet in the sacraments. So, for example, prayers of gratitude for the sacraments that Jesus has given to us, the sacraments that we ourselves have received, the ways that he has met us. Prayers, for example, we went to Mass last Sunday. Thank you, God, for the gift of Mass this past Sunday. Thank you, God, during this week, because I'm planning to go to Mass again this coming Sunday. You know, thank you for the Mass I was at today, or all of those kinds of things. Um, prayers of gratitude for the sacraments. Also, celebration of the sacraments. Frequency with the sacraments. Uh, mass, of course, we don't have to wait Sunday to Sunday to attend Mass. Many of you have Mass at the school once or more a week. Uh, we can find Mass all around town at different times in different churches. We can attend adoration of the Blessed Sacrament whenever that's possible within our churches or our schools. Uh, those are ways for us to celebrate uh, and to, to gain more frequency and more frequent presence and time with the sacraments. Also, there's ordinations, you know, in the diocese here, for example, we typically have diaconate ordinations and priesthood ordinations. Uh, once every 15 or 20 years or so, we even have Episcopal uh, consecrations in the diocese. So attending such kinds of events, weddings, uh, you know, you can crash a wedding. No, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, at least check and see what the cake looks like. <laughs> but weddings, you know, going to weddings that people are celebrating, remembering that there's going to be an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ at this wedding today because they're coming together to bestow this sacrament on each other. Participating in the RCIA as a sponsor. So that's another way to be uh, frequent and present at really monumental moments. You know, it's one thing when a baby is baptized. Hopefully it doesn't spit up or anything. Uh, it's another thing for when an adult is baptized who's really into what's happening because of the proper uh, preparation they've been through and their awareness as an adult of what's happening and so forth. So being a sponsor is a great way to walk with someone, to, to experience again those things that happened to many of us when we were children. Uh, and then also, uh, we can celebrate the anniversaries of our own sacraments, um, in particular baptism and confirmation. For me, June is a big month. Uh, I was born on June 3rd. I was uh, baptized on June 26th. I was ordained as a priest on June 3rd, and I was ordained as a bishop on June 29th. So June is a big month uh, for me in terms of that. But do you know when you were baptized? What is your baptism day? You know, I didn't, I didn't figure that out until I was entering seminary and had to get all those documents and <laughs> looked on one of them and said, oh, I was baptized on June 26th. I should do something about that every year because that was an important day. Um, so celebrating the anniversaries of your own sacraments. It's a fun thing to do in the home or even in the classroom with the kids. You have an additional day for cake, right? Another day for, for some kind of celebration. This was an important day. This was the day that you met Jesus in this sacrament to, to help them to understand, wow, that really was important for me. 
Um, and the same with confirmation. Of course, we celebrate wedding anniversaries, right? I mean, typically after we forget first, and then you get reminded, and then, and then eventually you celebrate. Um, we celebrate ordination anniversaries, those kinds of things. But, you know, what about these other things? Baptism, confirmation, first, you, uh, first uh, uh, penance, first sacrament of reconciliation. I was at a parish where they, <laughs> they got the kids who had had the sacrament of reconciliation last year to write little notes of encouragement to the kids going to have their sacrament of reconciliation this year and then they posted those little notes on the outside of the little confessional booths that they set up for the priests and it was so hilarious to read some of those notes <laughs> because they're, they're saying things like don't worry he won't yell at you things like that <laughs> it was very funny what those kids thought about that <laughs> what they thought that the other kids were thinking about that segment. That was very funny. But that's another wonderful way to, to deepen a sense of, of expectation for the Lord's presence in the sacraments. This has been a production from the Communications Office from the Diocese of Tulsa in Eastern Oklahoma. Be sure to check out all of our other podcasts at dioceseoftulsa.org slash podcasts. Thank you so much and have a great day.